welcome again if you're visiting this morning. It's kind of like um, crashing a party, really, but <laughs> um, it's, it's a very special Sunday for us, and it's one of great rejoicing. We also have a few quick, short testimonies, but powerful. I just want to ask those who are sharing this morning to come quickly. Susie, you're first, so the rest of you just make your way over here. And the question is, um, the question to each of them really is, what has been significant? What has impacted you? And there might be several things, but they're kind of picking one (laughs) that have impacted you during our sacred assembly. Our sacred assembly has been 21 days where we've gathered in the prayer room um, day after day. It's been open from 6 a.m. till 10 p.m. with fasting and uh, as each person has felt prompted by the Lord. And so we're going to just share some of the feedback of what's been uh, significant and what's been awesome. Thank you. Um, Coming into Sacred Assembly this year, um, I was actually feeling really um, blessed and grateful for the Lord had already been doing in answering prayer in my family. Um, But I felt that the real need to continue to press in, um, that there was more that he was going to do. Um, So before Sacred Assembly, the prayer room time with my children um, was really disjointed and the kids really just did their own thing and um, my teenager wouldn't actually even come into the prayer room. Uh, So during... In the lead up to Sacred Assembly, we selected some prayer sets and we agreed them. And I explained that there'd been some stations organised and we're going to do them together. And it was such a blessing to do it together. The activities helped me to lead my children in prayer, in repentance of their sins, to thank God and to pray for others. Um, We had some amazing conversations both in the prayer room and also at home during this time. Um, thank you to everyone who put um, prayers for salvation in the box. We, we prayed for so many, but it also led me and my family to consider people we wanted to pray for that were special to us. Um, I really now feel that I'm equipped to have meaningful time in the prayer room with my, my children, and um, we're going to continue some of the activities that um, Chantelle and the team put together because they're just so impactful. I really loved it. So I'm really thankful to the Lord for leading me and my children into deeper relationship with him in this time. Tony, what about you? Spending time in the prayer room was really great for me this year. Um, me and my family, we've been quite busy moving house. So it was a really great opportunity just to spend time with God and quiet myself and eliminate any distractions. Um, just a few things that the Lord was really pointing out to me was um, my speech and having gracious speech, uh, relationships at home, having a spirit of, spirit of gentleness. Um, a few other things was um, Colossians 3 where God talks about, or Paul talks about um, just setting your mind on heavenly things, just continuously being focused on heavenly things. And um, I just felt that the Lord was really um, just pressing me to just continue to have zeal and have more passion for him and his purposes and things like that, and just removing anything that would hinder that passion, anything that would um, pretty much um, hinder that devotion that I have to King Jesus. And the last thing was um, a focus on God's holiness. Uh, Right before Sacred Assembly, I started to read the book of Leviticus, which is normally one of the books I get stuck at when I'm reading the beginning of the Bible. Um, But this year, the Lord just really um, showed me and brought real good revelation as to um, how 
what, what the Israelites had to do to have God in, in their presence. And it really gave me appreciation for what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to do all of these sacrifices. We don't have to do all these things, and we can have that free access to God. So some really good highlights that the Lord brought to me this year, and um, I really encourage everyone to, to attend Sacred Assembly next year. Thanks, Tony. And, Tony, you took some days off work. You took some days off work as well, yeah. So Tony decided to do that this year. And uh, that's always a great, that's always a great, but that's another offering. It's an offering of your time. So, yes, I also, you know, deliberately carved out time to spend big chunks in terms of trying to give God the, the little slots that I thought might be left over. Uh, and that was very beneficial to me. Um, Sacred Assembly, I guess the, the daily readings launched with sort of Revelation 1 and I started there. Um, and one of the, the prayer sets I were in said, start writing that out. Um, and that's all the way through to Revelation 22 now during Sacred Assembly. Um, and that was, a, a, without rushing, that wasn't the task. The task was to connect with the, the Word um, and, and with God's story. And, and the part of where we're ending God's story in this season is the, the looking forwards to what, what the fullness of, of God's plan and purpose is. Um, and Revelation is a really detailed articulation of that. Um, so I was just really struck by... God, how God is in control of it all, um, how merciful he is. You know, people who read Revelation might think it's uh, there's plenty in there, um, but in terms of just struck me the mercy of God in terms of everyone gets to choose which side they're on. There's no shades of grey of which where, where you are in the middle. Um, and it's just surprised me and struck me how people at the in the last chapters of the book are still um, choosing to, to defy God. Um, but yeah, very impacted and it was uh, a great investment and I'd recommend writing out the word as, as a way to connect with it. Thanks, Damien. Karina? <laughs> Karina, you've had a significant um, sacred assembly. Come and tell us. It's really hard. I've given them a challenge of 90 seconds, but here we go. Uh, so about two years ago, um, God started process of dealing with um, the fear in my life and um, I began experiencing what could only be described um, as crippling fear and terror. This fear was so overpowering that um, it often prevented me from being able to fellowship with others, pray or worship, especially in a public setting. I'd previously struggled with anxiety, but I became aware just how much that fear was controlling my life. Every Sunday and Wednesday night prayer became an intense spiritual battle of trying to fight the fear and not let it completely overwhelm me. During this time, I'd stopped hearing God's voice clearly or receiving any visions God was teaching me to walk through the valley of death and have faith in him without hearing or seeing, but it felt like I was completely cut off from God. And despite the intense anxiety I was experiencing, I felt God say to trust him alone for healing, not man or medicine. And during the first week of Sacred Assembly, I was praying with Julie one afternoon and God delivered me from the spirit of fear. (laughs) 
I felt it physically come off me. And since then, I've been able to worship, pray, and fellowship with others again without experiencing the torment of the fear. I also started receiving visions and hearing God again. Through this, God has been teaching me to know my authority in him as a believer and to stand firm in faith even when it looks impossible. This shelters, I'm thanking God for his mighty deliverance and healing power at work in my life and that he is the only one who could set me free from the terror, anxiety and fear. Thank you, Karina. Let's not let fear get a hold of us, hey, and stop what God wants to do. Nathan, you've had a transformative season. Yeah, apparently. Well, my wife noticed the difference anyway, so I don't, I don't necessarily feel it so much. But um, nah, So I've been writing out the Bible for at least three years now, every day. Um, it gets dry at times, like it's not perfect, you know, sometimes 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever. But, you know, that's the core of it. Like, so every morning I'm in there and it can get very dry at times. Um, but you keep doing it. And I was up, I've been writing out the Gospel of John. So you get through the part with um, the Samaritan woman and the, the well of living water and never thirsting again. Then you get to the bread of life and never hungering and thirsting again. And I was just flipping through that a bit. And then in, just in that moment, you know, there's just, this calmness came over me that I've never, ever felt before. I've never felt so calm in my life. And because we pray, you know, we all want to be hungry for God. We want to be hungry for his word and all that sort of stuff. And so I have all these expectations of how hungry I should be or shouldn't be or whatever. But then in that moment, you know, this calmness just comes on me. And I'm just like sitting there. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely so satisfied with God. And I've just, I was like still waters on the inside. Never felt so calm before. And it was just, it was just brilliant. And... And I just realized, yeah, it's like, he, he really does. Like, yeah, the, li- the living word, you know, it, he, he fills you up, he satisfies you. And it's like that little glimpse of eternity, you know, when he comes back and he's going to satisfy. And I am satisfied and I long for him to come back. And so, um, and then, yeah, so I don't necessarily feel any different now, but Leash says, you know, it's had an effect. And it's like, but, you know, it's great. So it's really, he satisfies, like, he does. I'm gen- great. Always listen to your wife. Yeah. That's great. Well done. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah. 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 That, that calmness, Nathan, still waters. You said when we were chatting, sea of, sea of glass, right? It's, it's a new thing. Praise God. Yeah. Oh, sorry. This is Chelsea, by the way. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Wayne. Got my back. All right. So for me, Something that God wanted me to give up during Sacred Assembly, which I was very unwilling to give up, he was talking to me about it beforehand, was actually music. Because music actually kept me busy and temporarily satisfied. And because I didn't want to slow down and face that hunger for God inside, this deep sadness and loneliness and longing for him. Because without having the constant buzz of music for Sacred Assembly, it meant that I was forced to slow down. I was forced to face that quietness and then what comes during that time. And then also during Sacred Assembly, God decided to amplify that sense of hunger for him, that deep sense of mourning at the fact that we have such a broken world and that I really hunger and desire for him to come back and to make it right. So despite the fact that I'm sometimes not willing to sit down with him, when I do sit down with him, which I did more during Sacred Assembly, 
I could really feel that God was the only thing that actually satisfies. It's not these temporary things that, you know, bob along to music, having fun, dancing and singing along with friends and stuff like that. God is the only thing that satisfies me. And honestly, if I don't have God, then I don't want to keep going in life. I don't want to live in this world without God. And something that Julie actually said during one of her talks in Sacred Assembly is not selling our inheritance for a bowl of soup. So for me, that meant not taking these moments of self-satisfaction, like those temporary gratification moments or whatever, not just living in those instead of spending time with God and living for his inheritance and getting to know him more and more, storing up that oil of intimacy. So yeah, Sacred Assembly showed me how to be in the moment with God, not fearing the future or my past and being more present and not fearing the earthly things and keeping eternal perspective. And towards the end of Sacred Assembly, God reminded me of just how much he's protected me and provided for me throughout life and how he's restoring me from my broken past. It was both humbling and awe-invoking. And because of moments like this, I'm knowing him more and more and I want to keep going in life. So yeah. Chelsea didn't mention this, but it, um, in the mornings, often in the mornings when I would come in, she was already there before she went to work, and then she was there in the evenings as well, and that was part of her commitment to just, yeah, be intentional and let God fill her up during that time. So encouraging. Thank you to all of you who've shared such different, different perspectives and so encouraging. Thank you for giving God the honor and thanking him. We appreciate it. We're going to have a couple of Bible readings and then Wayne's going to speak to us this morning. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, and Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7. Here we go. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. That deserves a clap, right? (laughs) The highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem and the Lord will mediate. Hallelujah. (laughs) Between nations and will settle international disputes. (laughs) Yes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation, nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So glorious and relevant, that passage today. Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow 
or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Great to see everybody. Very, very important to remember where you've come from and what you're doing. And, and so good to have the people that shared testimonies, but also to remember 25 years and people always said to me that uh, you, you'll overestimate what you can do in one year and you'll underestimate what God can do in 10 years. And they were absolutely right. So don't give up. If you're not where you're at, just keep going. I wanted to do something different this morning, and uh, so I'm having a shot at uh, bringing a teaching with a chiastic structure. Don't think too much about that. You think, oh, there's a chiastic structure. Think of it as a V turned sideways. We're going to go in on one side of the V, we're going to reach the point, and then we're going to come back out. So you're going to see one, everything once going in, and then you're going to see it again. So when, you, when we're going out, don't be thinking, oh, we've already seen these slides. Remember, that's the point. Okay, shelters, three key words I want you to remember. First one is remember, second one is rejoice, third one is prophesy. Try and say those together. Remember, rejoice, prophesy. Now we're going to unpack them in detail when we get to the centre. So shelters is known as a season of rejoicing. And you might have thought, really? Really? Like we've been rejoicing this morning, but if you, if you stop and you think, well, we're in a kind of a little bubble here in one sense. And in fact, all of our news feeds are uh, just chock-a-block with doom and gloom. There's turmoil in uh, all sorts of government departments and systems in our state and others. There's rising interest rates, there's pressure on us all in terms of paying the bills, there's floods, there's earthquakes, there's disasters, there's wars, and we're just being pounded more recently with global recession, global recession, global recession, all this is like, so really in the season, in all that, how can we as a people rejoice? Like, you've got to be joking. It's not like we won the grand final in anything, did we? What's there to rejoice about? Well, let's unpack that bit more. Okay, let's start with the Bible. That's always a good spot. If you're ever stuck and not sure what to do, start with the Bible. Start with God. So the Bible tells a single unified story of ultimate good news. And the word that's often used for that good news is the word gospel. So when you hear gospel, you know it's speaking of good news. So... Our government has a gospel. Trust us and your life will work or something similar, right? There's also the gospel of uh, the technology companies. Buy our technology. It'll be good for you and your life. Your life will work and you won't have any cyber security breaches. Those, that kind of good news. 
But the Bible is telling a very different good news, and it's good news for all the world. I'll summarize it like this. God started everything when he created the heavens and the earth, and the first man and the first woman. And God's goal was to dwell peacefully on his earth with the people that he created. That was what he was wanting to do. But the people that he created, which now includes you and me, we keep refusing to worship God and give him the honour that's due him. And our rebellion against God continuously defiles and pollutes his world and our own lives and the people around about us. We keep messing up. But God was like, saw all this coming. That's what's good about God. Nothing catches him by surprise. Some of the things that you do catch you by surprise. Some of the things that you say catch you by surprise. Where did that come from? It's like, well, God was not surprised. And God always had an eternal strategy to achieve his ultimate vision. And it's summed up out of the words of Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And we also use it as the, the statement of the vision of this church. We say it's God's vision. And God's vision is on earth as it is in heaven yeah simple so god's strategy has two major acts if you think of it like a a drama or a movie or a play it's got two major acts and and jesus is the hero in both of them so if you want to know who the hero is it's jesus if you're looking in the mirror and thinking who's the hero of this story it's not you it's jesus it's not me it's jesus so let me summarize these two acts like this. Act one, Jesus comes to pay the debt that humans owe to God and to establish himself as the reconciling mediator between God and rebellious people so that they may come home to the Father's house. So that's act one. So it's all about Jesus coming, paying the debt that we all individually and collectively owe to God and to establish himself as the one mediator, the one who can bring God and people together rebellious people so that we can come home to the father's house to the father's embrace that's good news isn't it just for me i said yes to that i said yes i'm taking that jesus thank you very much you can do that today if you haven't done that already if you've not said yes to jesus being your mediator between god and you well i strongly encourage you to do that because uh if you do it it won't end well i'm just telling you Bible's really clear about that. So Act 1. Act 2 is, and we're living in between these two acts. So Act 1, Jesus will return to rid the earth of all evil. Rid the earth of all evil. Can, you can't, we can't even imagine what that will look like. And we think it's all other people. He's going to rid the world of every rebellious, unrepentant human and demon. Unrepentant is the key word in that. Who gets into heaven? The repentant ones. Who gets excluded from heaven? The unrepentant ones. So the first words out of the mouth of Jesus when he starts to speak are repent, turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's an invitation for every human being. It's like you can get in on this good news. You can get in on the Father's house. You can come home to the Father's house. It begins by repenting, by turning to God and getting ready. And what's going to happen when Jesus returns? He's going to recreate the world so that it's filled with the glory of God. 
And the Father can return to dwell peacefully with people, which is, remember, that was the plan in the beginning. The plan is the Father will be on earth with people who want him to be here. So another way to think about heaven is preoccupied with Jesus, preoccupied with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. If I'm not preoccupied and if I'm not wanting God now, why would I want him for all eternity? Why would I want to go to the place where he is absolutely the center of everything? The focus of everything is on God in heaven. If I don't want God to be the focus of my life now, why do I think I will enjoy heaven? I won't. I'll be grinding my teeth. And the Bible talks about that. So we're living in between the time of Acts 1 and 2. And I use the phrase, creation to Christ to new creation, to summarize the Bible. Now, I made that up. You can make up your own or feel free to use that one because I think it's brilliant. Because <laughs> it's the Bible starts at creation. The story moves along, got twists and turns. Christ, story moves along, twists and turns. New creation. It's beautiful summary, simple to remember. Creation to Christ, to new creation. So, then what we find in the Bible, we've got God makes appointments to meet with his people. You make appointments to meet with people. You make appointments to have coffee with friends or to have people over for dinner or that kind of thing. You make appointments to go and see a doctor or a, some other person or you make an appointment for a tradesman to come to your house and hopefully they show up within the allotted time. Um, so... God set appointments up where he says, I want to meet with people who want to meet with me. Now, through God's covenant with Israel, he established appointments so that we would remember that we're living in a bigger story because we are so prone as human beings to make it about us, to make us the centre of the world. These appointments, these rhythms... Cause us to remember, oh, I'm living in a bigger story. I'm not the center of the universe. God's the center of the universe. And he says, I want to meet with you. And one of the wonderful things about God is that he wants to meet, catch up with you every week. Daily's really good, but at least weekly show up. And then there's annual ones as well. And these are all laid out for us in Leviticus 23. And this idea that we can live disconnected from God's rhythms, from the meetings that God set up. And one of the things that we have experienced as a church over the 12 years that we have been journeying, following God's appointed times, is we find he shows up. Isn't it interesting? He shows up in power. He does things in our lives. And we just got to, we just got to show up at the, on the day. And for the, the appointed season. Now look, I know this is inconvenient. I know that sometimes you've got plans because you haven't actually looked far enough ahead at what God's, when God wants to meet with you and you go and make your plans and then along comes sacred assembly or Passover. It's like, oh, I've got to change my plans. I had long weekend plans and now God wants to meet with me. Oh, goodness me, I've got to cancel my camping trip or something like that, Right? The point is that these are intended. God intends them as ongoing disruptions to our lives. And this is deliberate. And the next slide should be on with my little gif. Spend a lot of time to make this. Can't let it go to waste. So this is like if, you, if we embrace this and understand that 
Oh, they're meant to disrupt my life because that's what they do. I get it now, God. You want me to drop everything and meet with you. You want me to live as if you're the most important person in my life. How when we do that, it's such joy, such good news, such delight. So they, this idea that they are an ongoing disruption is intentional and deliberate. Because when we claim that we belong to God, we ought to live life that show that. And organizing our time, the way we organize our time, forms God's purposes in us and reveals him to the people around about us. Because people are like, why are you doing that? Because you're living, we're living out of sync. It's like we're living to the beat of a different drum. We're not organizing our lives according to the sum of the ways that other people are organizing their lives. And, and that's a good thing because that creates disruption. And it creates, if you like, it means we're a bit salty. Not crusty salty, not that kind of, you know, sourpuss salty. But salty as in... What on earth are you doing that for? Why? Why are you doing that? What's that about? It's about God. Really? You organise your time to meet with God? God's the most important person? Really? We thought if we just showed up a couple of times a year on a Sunday somewhere, he'd be happy with that. No, we're not that. Because what we give our time to forms us. And so there's this annual calendar and we've been, we're at the end of it. So we're about to go into a new year. It's not January 1, but we're about to go into a new year. So this, this little graphic shows you the spring, when it says spring feast, you need to remember that Israel is in the northern hemisphere, we're in the southern hemisphere. So this calendar is created for Israel, not for, right? Okay. So just don't, don't be thrown off by that. So, so we began, we began the festival season. All the way back, when? What month was it? Passover. Who remembers? If you're saying April, you're, you're very close. And when Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. That was the first lot. First lot of three. There's a group of seven. Seven's a very important biblical number. Then we moved, then we moved along and we got to Pentecost. And then we've come into what the, they, in the Northern Hemisphere, they call the fall feast. We call them the spring feast of trumpets, atonement, and shelters or tabernacles. So what's missing from the annual calendar that's in Leviticus 23? Weekly Sabbath. Well done. Yep, that weekly day to meet with God and to rest from our work. Wow. People who follow God's rhythm create something meaningful in their house. Now, here's an, here's an idea you might want to take away. Families. I want, I want to have a quick word, to, a quiet word to all the husbands in the room. So if you're not a husband, you don't need to listen. If you're a husband, please pay attention. One of the wonderful things that there is in Hebrew culture is every Sabbath, there's a particular routine that they go through whereby... They cook a special meal and they all sit and eat together as a family. But the meal begins with the mother of the house lighting a couple of candles, which signify that God is the light of the world has come in to us, right? And partway through the meal, 
for the end. So, no, then the, the husband, so all the husbands, you're listening to me. What the husband then does is pray a blessing over his wife. And it's a combination of Bible verses, and I can give those to you. And then later on at the end of the meal, the father prays a blessing on all of his children, puts his hand on their head and speaks a blessing over them. I want you to imagine what that does for a family when they do that every week. A husband blessing his wife in front of his children. What, is, what message does that send to the kids? And the father blessing all of the children every week. What does that impart? God imparts things when we bless. So it's simply to say, husbands, Consider how you might do this. Have a chat to your wife about how to do it structurally and organisationally. But just this thing of could we cultivate a culture of blessing in our family like that? Just leave that with you. Okay. Uh, so, three key words I gave you at the beginning about shelters are rejoice, rejoice and prophesy. Okay, so now we're going to spend a bit of time here. Now, there's a truckload, literally a truckload of biblical material we could look at, but I've just chosen a few selections. So the first thing I want to say is when we remember and rejoice, what we, what we are remembering and rejoicing about was that firstly that God was with Israel on their journey from slavery to, from Egypt to the land that God had covenanted to Abraham and his descendants through Isaac. And on that journey, the first night they camped at a place called Sukkoth or Sukkot after leaving Egypt from which the Hebrew word sukkah temporary dwelling tabernacle comes from so that's in Exodus 12:37 and so we're remembering that they lived in these temporary shelters as they journeyed through the wilderness towards the land that God had promised them and on that journey as well God there had them make a really special tent and that was called the tent of meeting Do you hear what God's heart is? And this tent of meeting was set up in the center of the camp. And the tribes are camped around the tent of meeting. In other words, God's saying, meeting me needs to be the central focus of life. See this beautiful pattern that he's set up. And when we live according to God's pattern, there's blessing that flows from us. And so we are remembering and rejoicing this about this. And we're also remembering that that when we live in shelters, and we typically, it's difficult to do this, but some of you may have set up sukkahs in your backyard. You may have had sleepovers or shelters. Sukkah, shelter, tabernacle, it's all the same word. Tent. Uh, You may or may not have slept in your backyard. Entertain people in your backyard, in your sukkah or your front yard, wherever it was set up. But the point is this reminder that life is temporary. Because we're living in this temporary shelter that we've just set up for a week. And it's this reminder, yeah, we're still on the journey. These are reminding us of God's desire to meet with us on this journey and this life is temporary. So the first thing is we remember is God with Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness. And the second bit we remember and rejoice about that Jesus the Messiah was born in Israel. So 
uh, John opens his biography with these words. In the beginning, the word already existed. Now, if you're familiar with Genesis 1, you'll notice that these joined it to Genesis 1.1. And the word was with God and the word was God. So John opens his biography of Jesus' life saying, In the beginning, the word already existed. And the word was God and the word was with God. And then the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Can you imagine being John writing those words? Because you've been with Jesus. You've, like, this is not an idea he's thought up. He's like, I have seen God in the flesh. I've seen God, the man, Jesus. He was God. I've seen him. I've touched him. I've hung out with him. I've eaten with him. I've traveled with him. All these things. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I've seen his glory. So speaking, of course, of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, born in Bethlehem, and that he is God's promised Messiah. So this is part of what we are remembering. And we are rejoicing that the promised Messiah and saviour of the whole world for both Jews and non-Jews. Jesus is the fulfilment of all the messianic prophecies given by the Jewish prophets who saw his coming because God revealed it to them and they spoke of it. Now, in shelter season, one of the things that we, we consider is that the timing of Jesus' birth was probably during shelter's festival. We think that Jesus may well have been born in someone's sukkah. Because everybody goes up to Jerusalem and all the accommodation gets sold out really quickly. And people stay with friends and family and relatives, but they don't always have overflow accommodation except in their sukkahs. How appropriate and how prophetic that the God who dwelt in a tent with Israel as they journeyed from slavery in Egypt towards a promised land, was born in a temporary shelter during the shelter's festival. Awesome. Then we move on and we prophesy. We rejoice and prophesy that God's with us today. God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned his creation. He never has and he never will. We remember, we rejoice that God is with us in every season and circumstance. And you heard the testimonies up here earlier. And you've got testimony. You've got different circumstances that are going on. And we, but we just rejoice that, hey, God is with me. I might be walking. You might be walking through something that feels like the valley of the shadow of death. But God is with you. He has not left you or abandoned you. He is with us in every trial and trouble and triumph. We are rejoicing and prophesying the return of God's anointed king. We're prophesying with Isaiah, with Micah, and with all the biblical prophets that the day of the Lord is coming. We're prophesying it to ourselves, and in the way we live, we are prophesying it to the people we live amongst. We had the words of Isaiah read to us, Isaiah 2. Also the same words appear in Micah 4. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Now, if you think about that, that's not logical. 
What streams uphill? Nothing. (laughs) And that's the whole point of Isaiah's prophecy. And actually, that mountain that he's talking about that's going to become the chief among all the mountains, when you go there, it's not impressive. It's quite a small hill. If you want impressive mountains, go to Switzerland or Germany or the Himalayas, right? And so part of what we're being confronted with is God's actually chosen this little hill in the middle of what's well, Israel, right? But in the middle of the Middle East. And he said, that's where I'm going to be. And there's going to be a day when people are going to flock from all over the world. It's going to be like a stream going uphill to come and to be with me. It's going to be great and glorious. We get to prophesy with David from Psalm 2, where David says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. So you think about the kings of the earth. You think about the rulers of the earth and what they're doing and how they're conspiring. And don't just think political and governmental. Think of the, the, the billion squillionaires around the world that have got like truckloads, literally truckloads of money and are using it to further all their courses. And we got a voice to speak to them and to prophesy and to say, I'm warning you with David. Be wise, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Your rule will come to an end. You may look rich and powerful and strong and mighty at the moment, but you have an appointed end. Your life will end. But there is a king who's coming, whose life is indestructible. It's been demonstrated through his resurrection from death to life. And that king is the one that God has said, I'm going to set on my hill in Jerusalem. And so David goes on and says, kiss the son or worship the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. You take refuge in Jesus, you're blessed. You've got nothing to worry about. You exalt yourself above Jesus, you've got a lot of problems. Revelation 21 was read to us, again, from John. We're prophesying. We're prophesying a sea a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah, this old heaven and earth has disappeared. The sea's gone. And I saw the holy city. Again, we come back to this. They come back to the centrality of Jerusalem in the purposes of God. Remember in the story from creation to Christ to new new creation, Israel is the focus, Jerusalem is the focus, not Australia, not the United States, not the United Kingdom, European Union. But I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. I've had such joy conducting a lot of weddings over the years. Not once has the bride showed up disheveled. Never. It's never happened on my watch. (laughs) They always show up beautifully for their husband, dressed for the wedding. This is the imagery, people. Capture it. Let it capture you. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. What a great day that'll be. Isn't that worth prophesying about everybody? Prophesying, declaring, there's a day coming. All those things go. So shelters, what do we do? We remember, we rejoice, we prophesy it. We knew our focus on that. So here we've reached our turning point. We've got to the point. Now we're going back out the other way. You ready? We're going to go out quicker than we came in. Okay. So we go back to our annual calendar. And it begins with the story of God liberating people from slavery to sin. And it ends with the glory of God, with God living on earth forever. So that's where it begins. The story begins. People are enslaved. God comes and sets them free. And that's where the story begins. And that's where your story begins and my story begins. I was enslaved to sin. I couldn't free myself. I needed a savior. I needed a deliverer. And I put my trust in Jesus and he delivered me and he will deliver me all the way through. And so the story, the calendar goes on. The annual process happens as we embrace him. We're moving forward in his purposes. The exile, so what we are prophesying, it ends that the exile from the Garden of Eden will end. And we've come to the point in the story, in the cycle where we go We're looking forward to the glory of God filling the whole earth. Not just a garden in the Middle East, but the whole earth. And so this annual process, these seven festivals tell us God's great redemption story. And it keeps telling it to each new generation. It keeps reminding us because we live in a culture that wants to disconnect us from this story. And so there's a fight to keep connected to the story. We all experience it in different ways. Life crashes in on us. So the festival rhythm keeps us engaged with living in the bigger story of God and what he's doing. And we remember, oh, yeah, there's more to life than this, what I'm experiencing right now. As I said, we experience God's ongoing disruption. That's intended and deliberate. And uh, we just look at, if we have a quick look around us at the moment, you even, we see that we've got individuals. You know individuals who are in crisis. You know families who are in crisis. We, can, we look around the world and we see nations are in crisis. The world is in crisis. And what's God's answer to the crisis? God's answer is to establish a people who are living in sync with his rhythm, which will put them out of sync with the rest of the culture, and they will be a prophetic people. They will be a people who are remembering, rejoicing, and prophesying what God in Christ has done and what he's coming to do. And we become the embodiment of the hope that the world needs. Technology is not going to save us. There's a whole lot of things that aren't going to save us. It is God that's going to save us. And much of what people are putting their hope in will be shown to be absolutely futile. So we talk about God's appointments to meet with his people as being God's rehearsals for God's people to participate in God's story, centered on God's son, restoring God's creation for God's glory. The centrality of God and God's annual 
rhythms, the weekly rhythm, keeps forming his story in us and it transforms us. And we begin to embody this eternal vision. And one of the, one of the fantastic things that we have experienced in New Life Church over the 12 years that we've been doing this is that the stories become more and more part of us and it has transformed us and we are beginning to embody the vision of living with an eternal reality pointing and prophesying to there is a day coming on earth it will be as it is in heaven it's not happened yet but there's a day coming we declare that so we remember wonderful thing creation to Christ and new creation the bible is not about us but it is for us it's not about us my name's not in there except where I wrote it in the cover but and your names well some of your names are in there because some of you have been named after biblical characters awesome walk that out so the bible it tells us how everything got started it tells us why the world is so messed up and people are getting hurt and it tells us what God is doing to restore his world. Those three things. How everything got started, why it's so messed up and what God is doing to restore it. Those three are the key, key takeaways from the Bible. So yeah, is it the season of rejoicing? Yeah, it is because our hope's anchored in God. So even though we've got all sorts of turmoil and chaos all around us, we can sing with Psalm 46. And some of you need to know the words of Psalm 46. So let me coach you. I'm not going to sing them to you. But this thing, like when life is pressing in on us, some of the things you do, you open up and you start to just speak out the words of Scripture. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come, when pandemics come, when global recession comes. We will not fear if the mountains themselves crumble into the sea. If the oceans roar and foam around us, we will not fear because God is my refuge. And my strength and my hopes in him, not in people. So, it shelters, we remember, we rejoice, and we prophesy. And we remember, one of the things that we remember is that a world without God is not a permanent sentence. It's not. At the moment, this world is quite happy, for the most part, to live as if God doesn't exist. That is a temporary situation. God will come in a way that we've never seen him come before with massive disruption that will force people to choose. And in that day, many will choose for him and some will still continue to harden their hearts against him. But when we remember, rejoice and prophesy, we are saying the world as we've got it right now isn't permanent. Jesus Christ is coming soon to make all things new 
and right all the wrongs. And I want to align myself with him. I have aligned myself with him. Many of you have. And I just encourage you, keep going. Keep going to be a people who rejoice, who remember, rejoice and prophesy of the goodness of God.